Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. I'm not very good at fly tying. In fact, if you were to make a bell curve with one side being somebody who would hurt themselves with scissors and a vise, and the other side you have people who could tie salmon flies that could go in museums, I'm probably about halfway up the left-hand side of the uh, the bell curve. So, I mean, I can tie a mean woolly bugger. I can uh, make egg flies to fill anyone's boxes. I've even been known to put a Griffith snap together that looks semi-decent. But once you start getting into proportioning things and making things look uh, consistent from one fly to the next, that's when things really start to fall apart. But that being said, I can tie what I need to fish and the fish don't seem to mind. Maybe I'm fishing to dumb fish, but I know I couldn't sell my flies in a fly shop. When I tie flies, I tie the things I know I can use and flies that I'm going to fish more often than not. Maybe I'm good at tying those because I'm comfortable not just tying them, but fishing them, so I've really forced myself to tie them. But I don't sit down at the vise thinking, let me think of something new, or let me try something incredibly complex or difficult that I saw on an online video. But something else I do is I get out and I tie flies with other people. I'm sure you've seen this if you're on social media or if you're involved in any sort of conservation organization or fly fishing group there are fly tying nights. In fact, I know of about six that are within an hour drive of where I live. And that's just the ones that have kind of come across my social media feed passively. I haven't gone out looking for any, but they're everywhere. You'll find them in fly shops. You'll find them in Trout Unlimited clubs, even local schools and libraries and things like that will offer fly tying events. And they really range in what they offer, but there's some things that are consistent. People come together to tie flies. Some are more structured than others. Some are lessons. Others are contests. But by and large, a lot of them are people just getting together to tie flies. And so what I want to talk about tonight is why someone like me, someone who's not particularly great at tying flies, why I choose to go to a monthly fly tying event and why somebody who might be even less talented, somebody who might be a rank beginner, um, might be interested. And then also somebody who is advanced, someone who's tying flies that are being sold in fly shops, tying flies that do get thousands of likes on the internet because they are just beautiful, why they could go to a fly tying night too and why they could get something out of it. So I'm gonna share five reasons, three for beginners, three for advanced fly tires. You heard that right. I am doing six things and five. I'm sure your interest has peaked, 
And you might be thinking he's worse at math than he is at fly tying, but you'll see what I have to say as I say it. So the first reason why someone who might not be that great at fly tying should go to a fly tying night is because people are probably ready, willing, and able to show you how to get started. And this is incredibly valuable, and I've never been to a fly tying event, either at a fly shop or at uh, a Charter Limited chapter meeting or um, to the one I currently go to, which is at a, uh, a workshop for a fly fishing company, um, where people aren't willing to say, here is my vice or here's an extra vice I brought, here's some extra tools, here's some materials, let me show you how to put thread on a hook, how to put a tail on, put some chenille on, wrap some hackle. I'll finish the fly for you, but watch me as I finish the head. Now there you go. It's a woolly bugger. And for someone who's been tying for years and years or decades and decades, that might sound simple, but you have to remember that everyone has to start somewhere. And so the best way to start is hands-on. With the internet today, with YouTube, it is blowing the old way of learning out of the water if you're doing it on your own, which was getting books, especially black and white books were just difficult and you were really having to struggle through those but today with the internet you have so much um, to to go off of but at the same time it's not three-dimensional it's also not um, at your speed Uh, so having somebody do it in front of you can be very very beneficial and especially someone who can give you hands-on instruction Uh, the last few times that I've showed somebody I've actually grabbed their hand grabbed the the bobbin and and helped them go through some of the the wrapping techniques and uh, positioning of materials and thread that is a little bit more complicated. Didn't look like that scene from Ghost or anything. It was much more straightforward than that, but uh, it uh, is a very, very good way to learn. So that's the first reason for beginners. Second reason for not just beginners, but as we get into someone who's a little bit more advanced, probably more like me, actually, I would put myself squarely in this category, and that is you have a distraction. And why is a distraction good? Well, here's why a distraction is good. If I'm sitting at home tying flies, and if I'm trying to tie a, a pattern that I'm not super great at, so say I'm trying to uh, spin um, deer hair, or I'm trying to get um, some wings to stand up in the right way, um, if it's just me and my flies, and then some sort of passive entertainment like the television or, or music or something like that, then I get pretty frustrated if it doesn't look perfect. And uh, what I'll do is I'll unwrap and try again, unwrap and try again, and unwrap and try again. And that gets very tedious because I'm going through a lot of work just to generate one fly. Now, I found if I'm talking to people and I am being more actively kind of distracted, that I might not be focusing on perfection, but I'm focusing on getting flies tied. Now, you might say this is counterintuitive. Why would you tie an imperfect fly? Well, here is the, uh, my theory. All right? I think there's a diminishing point of returns when you are trying the same technique over and over and over again. So let's pick something relatively simple, like um, getting wings to stand um, kind of symmetrical and uh, next to each other at, a, at the right angle. Um, you can do that and have them be a little bit lopsided. Now, I know this is going to cause your fly to float a little bit lopsided. I know that it's not going to have a perfect drift, but um, we're talking about fractions of a centimeter here. Um, Sometimes by undoing that and doing it again, you're smashing your materials, so they're never going to be perfect. Um, You're, again, getting frustrated because you're doing the same thing over and over again with no more results than if you were to just do it one time. So you might as well just finish the fly off, look at it, and then start a new one 
fresh materials and see if you can maybe improve from the last fly. You have a fly that's probably fishable. Again, not for sale, not for display, but something that's fishable. For me, this works. And if I'm talking to people and I'm cranking out flies, for some reason, I'm more focused on tying flies than getting a perfect fly. Now, you again, someone might say that this is the wrong approach, that you really should strive to have that perfect fly every time, and a fly that's not perfect isn't worth fishing. But honestly, for most circumstances, I don't think that's the case. And I mean, and again, this is kind of going away from, from fly tying, but you think about how a fly looks after you've caught a bunch of fish on it. And personally, myself, and then a lot of folks I know, that is just like more reason to keep fishing that fly, not to say, oh no, this hackle is smashed, or some of the wire wraps are coming undone because it's been in a trout's mouth all day, I better tie a new one on. To me, there's some sort of mystique and magic that comes to a fly that's gotten chewed up. So, um, I suppose it's a cop-out, but I tie my flies like they've been chewed up already, I suppose is a way you could look at it. Anyway, so that's the second reason. It's a, it's a good active distraction to keep you from focusing on the kind of perfection that would stop you from seeing good enough. So anyway, that's the second thing. Now, the third thing is the a piece of advice and the reason that is equal for both beginners and novices as well as advanced and expert tires and that's the social aspect of it and really this is I think why a lot of folks go in fact there's days I've gone to fly tying events and probably only tied two or three flies um, in the course of an hour hour and a half and that's because you're talking with people you're watching other people tie you're you're standing next to the tying table eating pizza and having a drink and just enjoying uh, being with people this is a great thing to do if you know the folks you're tying with. This is a great thing to do if you don't know the folks you're tying with. This is a great way to, at the bare minimum, just have fly fishing related interaction with other people. And on the other end of the spectrum, this is a great way to make a friend. And notice that there's a lot of things in between there. Um, getting good fishing intel, getting a few flies, maybe going fishing with somebody. Those things are great, but really, this is, a again, a opportunity to make a relationship with somebody. You're sitting there talking, and, you know, this is great for all sorts of folks, introverts and extroverts um, alike, because you're not sitting there awkwardly across from somebody, uh, looking them in the eye and having a conversation if you don't know them or if that's not your bag. You are sitting there across the table from somebody um, staring at some feathers and some fur uh, tied in a vice. So it really gives a great opportunity for people across the social spectrum to get together, to talk, to enjoy some food, to enjoy some fly tying, and uh, see where it goes from there. And that's something that anybody can do. And, and you know, fly tying is only one facet of fly fishing, let alone life. So regardless of your tying expertise, you're going to find folks that you have a lot more in common with. So now moving from kind of beginner and intermediate to um, and just the general reasons for going to a fly tying night or event, let's move into what an expert can learn from it. Um, here's the thing. When someone's really good at something, it usually doesn't mean that across the skill set they have achieved um, expert levels. So you don't often see somebody who makes fantastic bass bugs who is also tying great salmon flies. Um, you don't see somebody who is great at tying midges also um, working wonders with, with foam and the latest kind of new wave materials. Now, certainly there are exceptions to that, but usually somebody finds something they're good at and then they kind of run with it or they are interested in something and they really dial that in. 
So if you have people who are really, really good tires, people who have the basic skills down, but then they have their specialties, um, the guys who tie big saltwater flies, the guys who tie um, very realistic looking nymphs. I mean, those are two completely different things and things that you might not be interested in. The reason you're good at tying one style is because you're interested in that. But to be in a room with people that have other skill sets, know how to use other materials, that's a great opportunity for you to expand your knowledge base and maybe even understand a little bit more about a technique or a material that you might not have been otherwise familiar with that you can incorporate into your tying. Now, obviously, tiny trout patterns aren't necessarily going to have an application when it comes to giant muskie flies, but there's a lot of room in there and a lot of opportunity to see how um, other folks do it. And whether that be you uh, continuing to grow in your kind of lane of fly tying or to widen your expertise in fly tying, being in a room with other people who are good at other types of tying, techniques, materials, patterns, is only going to benefit you. So that's the second one for the kind of advanced fly tire. The third one, and this, take it for what it's worth, but I'm of the mindset, and I've said this before, and I've certainly written about it before on castingacross.com, but if you can't explain what you're doing, you haven't really mastered it. So Another way to say that is if you can't teach someone in principle what you're doing, you actually don't know as much as you think you do. Now, this isn't a judgment on anybody. In fact, there's plenty of things in my life where it comes to fly fishing and, and otherwise where I can't say that this is about myself. There's things that I need to become more familiar with um, before I tell someone about them. But that's a really good um, metric for how familiar you are with something, whether that be fly casting, whether that be reading trout water, or whether that be fly tying. So this gives you an opportunity, kind of circling back from this fifth point all the way back to the first point, where if somebody shows up and they've never palmered a feather, can you explain to them how to palmer a feather? Or do you just do it quickly and say, oh, you didn't see that? Let me do it again. And you do it quickly. And hopefully they get it by osmosis and just by watching. Um, but if you can explain how to lay a feather on a hook, how to pick the right feather, how to um, prepare the feather, how to lay the feather on the right way, how to wrap so that the feather stays in the right place before you begin making those wraps, why spacing matters, why wrapping the feather in the right direction matters, all of that minutia that you might have in your head and every time you tie a fly from tying you know, hundreds upon hundreds of patterns for years and years that you just do naturally, if you can stop, slow down, and explain it, I think that demonstrates that you really do have a very proficient level of knowledge when it comes to something um, like fly tying. So um, that's, again, not to be judgmental, but I think that that's um, just a, a great way to kind of take inventory with where you are in your fly tying. You may be great at it, but you might have room to grow. We all have room to grow, um, but also it's an opportunity to feed into somebody, somebody who might be learning, might be interested. So there you have it. Very brief, five reasons, um, three for experts, three for beginners, why you should try a fly tying night. Um, if you haven't found one in your area, hop online, Google it, get on Instagram, um, get on Facebook, uh, talk to someone, talk to your local fly shop. Certainly they, if 
they don't have one, they can probably put you um, in touch with somebody where there is one. If you live in uh, New England, in the Boston area, get a hold of me on the website, Matthew at castingacross.com, and I can uh, invite you to the one that I go to, uh, and some of the, or I can give you um, a lead on some others in the area. But uh, definitely check it out, if not for the tying, for the fellowship and the good food. Today's recommendation is the Eastern Brook Trout Joint Venture. I first became familiar with the Eastern Brook Trout Joint Venture back when I attended the Pennsylvania Rivers Conservation and Fly Fishing Youth Camp um, about uh, almost 20 years ago now. But uh, the Eastern Brook Trout Joint Venture, which is a mouthful in itself, um, it's a partnership between um, state agencies, federal bodies, um, regional local governments, businesses, conservation organizations like Trout Unlimited and other ones, um, academic institutions, uh, and private citizens, and they're all about protecting, restoring, and enhancing brook trout populations um, in their native range. So again, this is primarily an eastern venture, although it does move um, into uh, the, the Midwest a little bit. But this is a, an amazing website. If you just go to easternbrooktrout.org, um, you have all of their information, their events that they have, partnerships, other initiatives. There's lots and lots of information that you can find at uh, their website, easternbrooktrout.org. But there's also a lot of great data. And, and data can be used for a few things off of their website. Um, first of all, it's just it's interesting to see what's been done, even just in the last few decades, to protect, restore, and enhance, to use their tagline, um, brook trout on the East Coast. So that's one benefit of having that data set. Then there's also um, data talking about trout populations in states like Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont, um, Rhode Island, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, I mean, all the way down to South Carolina and Georgia. Um, I think you only left North Carolina and Tennessee and Kentucky out of that. But anyway, data about fish populations. This doesn't mean that you say, oh, there are definitely trout here, so I'm going to go and fish it. Um, that's not what the data is necessarily for, but it gives you an idea of where native range of brook trout are and uh, where they might be found. It helps with your um, awareness of the local resource. And whether that turns into fishing or whether it just turns into awareness, um, both of those things can be beneficial. So check out the Eastern Brook Trout Joint Venture um, if you are involved in Trout Unlimited Chapter or you're involved with um, an academic institution, whether that be a, um, a school or a college. Um, you can probably find ways to partner with them and get involved with some really cool conservation efforts. So again, easternbrooktrout.org. Uh, check them out, give them a follow on social media, and see what you can do to both learn from them and give back. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv